Hello, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series in which we interview KPMG leadership and subject matter experts, as well as third-party and client executives and thought leaders on key global business, socioeconomic, and geopolitical market trends and topics. My name is Stan Lapique, the lead market research and thought leadership effort for the KPMG Global Management Consulting Practice, and I'm your host for this podcast series. Joining us here today on Advice Worth Keeping is Ronald Walker. Ron is a principal in the U.S. firm and a member of the Shared Services and Outsourcing Advisory Practice. And joining Ron is Morris Treadway. Mo is also a principal in the U.S. firm, part of the financial management practice, and also responsible to the firm's activities relative to enterprise performance management. So, Ron and Mo, thanks for joining us here today on Advice Worth Keeping. Yeah, thanks, Dan. So, some of our listeners may recall, a couple months back, we released the findings of the first quarter KPMG Global Insights Pulse Survey, part of our quarterly research pulse program. And the theme for the first quarter was the impact of intelligent automation on the finance organization. And a big piece of that looked at how organizations are evolving their finance target operating model, which is is an ongoing and always a moving target type of process. But we looked at it specifically in the context of the impact intelligent automation is having on target operating models. And as organizations evolve these models, how they need to make sure they incorporate all the benefits that intelligent automation can bring. So we wanted to get down to the next level of detail in this podcast, talk about some points around how organizations are getting started, what are they doing relative to in-source versus outsource, you know, how are they setting up global shared service centers and centers of excellence to support intelligent automations, push into the finance function, how do they look at the establishment of global process owners, is that practical, you know, what's working, what isn't. But I think what we'd like to do is hear from Ron and, and Mo about some real-world examples of what's working and what isn't, and some of the benefits organizations are achieving and some of the challenges they have and how they're overcoming them. So maybe to start out with Mo, how are organizations getting started with this? We talked about this a lot on the Pulse webcast. You know, how are they getting started? How are they addressing some of these points? You know, What's working, what isn't? What should our listeners take away as what they should be doing if they're not already? We see a lot of different entry points for how people are getting started on this. Some have started through the fact that they need to do something about their systems, right? They're trying to modernize their ERP system or their EPM, their impact performance management system, and they're moving more to cloud, and we're seeing a lot of those areas as well. And in that case, it's being driven maybe a bit from they have to do something about their systems environment, but it's still got to be business-led. It's still got to be focused on why are we doing this beyond and we need to modernize our technology and our legacy systems. But what real goals are we trying to accomplish? And it goes back to the poll survey in the left cast that we had, Stan, where people are really challenged with how do I balance achieving aggressive cost reductions and still being very cost conscious, at the same time delivering better insights analysis to the organization and becoming a better business partner across the organization. And that's a tough balance. Technology enables that. Part of that modernization of technology and looking at where do we want to go with our technology environment and automating that measured information in those areas that can deliver greater insights and use robotics to take costs out. All those are enablers, but they have to think through it holistically. They can't think of it just as a technology project. You need to prioritize 
You know, what are those objectives? What are those goals? And how are we going to manage across that entire target operating model, which includes the service delivery model, it includes the people and skills and talent, it includes the technology, and it includes what are the questions you're trying to answer the organization to drive better insights and analysis. So getting started, the key will be where are our biggest pain points? What are those priorities that we trying to address first? And where is our business really struggling to make decisions today where they need better information, they need better insights, and prioritize that more from a right to left basis as we discussed previously. Mo makes great points, and I think the only thing that I add on that is invariably every single client that we've worked with in the last three and a half years have stated back to us is that, gosh, when they got started, they wish they had just gotten started instead of trying to overanalyze it, and they wish they had actually assigned people to do it. And, you know, I give examples across the board. I mean, large and small organizations, top three, a retailer in the globe, a top three utility in the globe, a top three telecommunications organization, a top three pharma organization, they all wish that they had just gotten started with a pilot or a POC or whatever you want to call it at that point in time with the plan that Mo had talked about. And they wish they had just started playing with the opportunities themselves instead of over-relying upon consultants like us and software companies. They just wish they got started themselves and got experience in leveraging all the components. I think that's probably the one learning that they'll all tell you, every single one of them to a T. So, Ron, maybe expanding on that point, why don't organizations just get started? Maybe you can give some examples where there are barriers, where they just didn't know where to go, where they too be holding to their consultants. Maybe a couple examples of either how an organization achieved what you just described and actually got started, or an organization that tried to but ran into some barriers they had to overcome. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons, and every organization has a different example, but I'd say that probably the top one is just prioritization. Organizations are trying to do so much, and every time they've got a top person that they need to assign to this a project like this, that they've got four other day jobs and a couple of night jobs that they have to do. So it's simply getting the right people there. Some people of the organizations overanalyze you know, what's required. And because of that, because they don't have the right people in there thinking it's harder to get started than it is, they just wait. So they've got other things that take up their time. So those are probably the main reasons and, and a whole bunch more. There's politics associated with it as well, but I don't think that's as big as just you know having priority conflicts. I think there's three major things that I've seen that have been hindrances or obstacles. One is who is that clear owner response are going to be from executive level to take this forward. And we still see organizations where, is it the CIO, is it the CFO, is it a chief transformation officer? And as we talked about on our previous poll survey that relates to this on the webcast, we really feel finance is at the forefront to take ownership on this and take leadership and drive this new target operating model, drive the better insights and analysis, and be the enterprise data steward across the enterprise as well. The one thing that I think that's required is, is a strong CFO, a strong finance ownership and leadership to take you know responsibility for that and drive it forward. And related to that, I think, also is what's the business case? I think they struggle with it. They get so mired down in their data and feel like, oh, this data is so overwhelming. Where do we get started? And we got to fix our data first. I would say that's not the case. Companies fail. We've seen companies fail because they take months and years even to try to fix their data and get their data right before they even know what they're trying to answer. What questions are they trying to make? What decisions are they trying to do? Where will this really make a difference for us competitively and make us better as an enterprise? And that's where the focus should be. 
And then you can focus on what data analytics makes sense to, to address those areas. And I think having that strong sponsorship engagement and then focusing on the decisions and the questions before getting mired down on the data is absolutely critical. So, Ron, you had mentioned that you're seeing activity in this space in your client engagements really across all major industries, so retail, life sciences, and the like. In addition to what Mo just described in terms of having a good business case, strong leadership, and particularly in the form of the CFO, not getting too wrapped up in trying to fix the data before you start, are there other characteristics of organizations that you're working with that are having more success with this? So if it's not necessarily a certain industry is more aggressive with this, or maybe it is, above and beyond some of Mo's points, if I'm a listener and I'm a CFO in a particular type of industry in a particular point in my, my life cycle, how do I know if I should be more aggressive or less aggressive to ensure I'm keeping up or getting ahead of the competition? Or is it really an it-depends scenario down to the individual organizational basis? I think it's across a super high majority of the clients that we've worked with. Once a CFO and other executives understand the opportunity, they are all in. Very few of them, once they understand you know, what this means and what the payback is in the long run, have opted to go the slow route. The limiting factor becomes the appropriate people to put on it and budgets within the cycle that they're trying to get to. Because it does cost money to start after this. Now, and I think Mo mentioned this earlier, the returns are as aggressive and as quick as we've ever seen in any type of you know, technology and or process implementations, at least over my career. But until the executives actually understand that, that's where I've seen it. I think pretty much across industry and across uh, functional leadership, they all get it. Now, you do have organizations like financial services where they tend to adopt more quickly and they have it, you know, kind of a broader application. So they're adopting this at a much quicker rate than I think other industries. But I don't think there's one industry that's lagging behind this, you know, including technology and media and the other ones that I mentioned. We're seeing a lot of growth of this in financial services, retail, consumer products. You would expect that, you know, given the tight squeeze of margins and the dynamic aspect of their customers to move to digital business models. We're also seeing this explode now in oil and gas, in utilities, in, in chemicals industries, in industrial manufacturing. Everyone's looking at digital transformation. Everyone's looking at what's my future finance target operating model look like? How can I drive greater insights into the organization, be a better business partner while reducing costs? We're working with companies in those more traditional, if you want to call them that, industries, even more so in these areas than you would think in high-tech, retail, and others that have already started to address it. It's across the board. So maybe to expand a little bit on that point, Mo, you would mentioned earlier the importance of having goals above and beyond just aggressive cost savings, which is in some cases a necessity that shouldn't be the end game. And you spoke to providing greater insights, being a better business partner. Are there some must-have goals that an organization should have above and beyond cost savings? And so if it is better insights, maybe some examples of what those types of insights would be. So I think it's great to say my goal from this effort is to provide greater insights, but how do I know which insights I should be focusing on providing in a better fashion? And are there specific things that organizations either are saying this is a must-have achievement we need to get to and other things that perhaps they're missing that should be on the agenda to achieve? That's where you do get very specific stand into the company itself. Is the company itself struggling to accurately predict their demand forecast, their sales and revenue forecast, which then ripples down through the whole organization? Is the company struggling to address new digital channels for connecting with their customers and offering new 
digital business products and services, and how do they price those? Are they struggling to address IFRS changes and regulatory changes? And what new KPIs and drivers does that create for the business, and how do they integrate that in their planning processes? Those are just a few examples that we're seeing at clients today that are business examples that, that the companies need to address, and they need to keep those objectives at the forefront and always be leveraging against those to say, how are we moving to address these areas and how quickly can we get something up that maybe not perfect, maybe it's a minimum viable product that we can start to use to address those areas concurrent or in parallel with being much more cost conscious and driving our costs down. And one doesn't compete against the other. The setting up of centers of excellence around data and analytics helps to, one, reduce your cost because many times your data scientists are fragmented throughout the organization. It gives you better data governance. It can streamline your whole technology and data environment that you use, reducing costs. At the same time, driving better insights, providing more relevant analytics and support and being a better business partner to those business areas we just talked about. So they're not diametrically opposed to each other. They can actually complement each other depending on how you approach that COE or that operating model. So in terms of some of those more strategic benefits, and I think you make a good point that it's not at odds necessarily with also saving money, particularly given some of the great cost savings opportunities introduced through intelligent automation and particularly robotics process automation. But with some of these more strategic goals, how granular should an organization expect to get in, in measuring those benefits and decide that they've met their goal? Or is it something where these are just such strategic uh, benefits that are being brought? You, you don't really measure them at a granular level. You know you're doing better at it, but there isn't a metric. Like with cost savings, you can have a metric. We want to take out X percent. But with some of the top line or the more strategic benefits, how granular can or should you get in measuring them? Or is that just not something that you should get too bogged down in? Actually, it's a little bit of both, Stan. So I think when you're going after non-cost benefits, you should measure it. I mean, anything that you measure, but it could be as simple as, am I reporting regularly on XYZ or reconciliations? What's the accuracy of reconciliations in the finance area? But I mean, to get specific, we worked with you know one of the largest telco providers, and we started working in automation and then turning it into a data and analytics project with them in regular the procurement. And that objective was just to reduce as we ingested and did some processing and analysis just to reduce overall spend. And that turned out to be 2 to 5%. But as they started understanding the tools and automation capabilities and analytics associated with it, they applied the same platforms, if you will, to their cell tower and the development locations. And they identified substantial savings opportunities because they basically are creating a process where they ingest 75,000 leases. And through that process, they pull out and extract all the pertinent fields. They do analysis on it. And something as basic as, is my landlord paying the taxes on time where I have my cell tower leased? And if not, it's cheaper for us to pay that tax now versus spending tens of millions of dollars going out and having to put new towers up because somebody lost their location in auction or their competitor bought that. That wasn't planned for, but we identified that as you used automation to get the data. You cut the data and analytics piece together and identified that. So as you'll see, you just kind of continue to make good cases and identify the opportunities. And oh, by the way, in that same cell tower location I was talking about, they reduced the labor associated with analyzing those leases by 50%. So a pretty big benefit that we didn't actually quite identify when we started the automation program with them. Your example is perfect because it has strategic benefits and value, but it also very specific, granular, tangible benefits. And I'll just end with saying 
the more granular you can get, obviously, the better. And I think if you relate them specifically to business areas, like improving the forecasting accuracy, like changing your pricing strategies to improve profitable growth, those type of targets and those type of adjustments, you can get very granular and you can measure those. You can be very specific on the measurement. It's beyond cost savings, which is important to measure as well. And I think that's to be as granular as you can on how you want to measure those things. Yeah, Mo, isn't one of your clients, in fact, they improved their forecasting after actually installing all the latest and greatest these systems, and then they added some of their data scientists on top of that, didn't they? One of the largest technology companies in the world. It was like two to 300 basis points improved forecast, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was a significant, and it was basically, they leveraged technology to do that, but they used the machine learning predictive analytics to improve their sales forecasting accuracy, and it improved. I think their sales forecast earns by as much as 10% in certain areas, and that wow. 10% is a phenomenal amount, especially when you think about how that ripples through your organization as long as you take action on that. It can help you refocus where you put your sales staff. You can refocus what products and services you're offering to which markets. It can change your inventory policies, change your distribution centers, how you go through those distribution centers, and all that has a direct impact on working capital, cash, earnings, et cetera, top-line revenue growth. And those can be very granular measures. To your point, Ron, they're very specific value measures that you can measure and, and see, see the significant value you get from changing those actions. Well, Ron and Mo, thank you very much for your time today. Some great examples of how finance functions are embracing aggressively and prudently opportunities brought to them by intelligent automation, as well as advanced data and analytics. And some good insights as to how organizations can balance the need for cost savings, but also really focus on more strategic benefits that can be derived from intelligent automation, such as providing better insights and becoming a better business partner. And I think as we wrapped up here, we've got a couple very good examples of some of the benefits that these technologies can bring. The great stuff and very good examples. We'll have to get both of you back to talk more about this topic. And for our listeners on the landing page for this podcast, there will be links out to some other research and thought leadership. KPAG is done. You'll be able to take a listen to the first Quarter Pulse webcast that Mo's referenced. He and David Brown were on that. A lot of additional materials to take a look at. But Mo and Ryan, as usual, great stuff. And thank you for your time today here on Advice Worth Keeping. And you can find the links to the items you referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, and the URL for that is kpmg.com/us/podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation. 